It's showtime. Okay, Tokyo, South America, Australia, France, Germany, UK, Africa. Here we go. Head on with Bob Kincaid. Three hours of conversation, cussing, and a discussing with America's only born and bred Southern liberal talk host. Head on with Bob Kincaid is brought to you each night by Coal River Mountain Watch. Coal River Mountain Watch invites you to become part of the solution, part of a sustainable future, part of the uprising against mountaintop removal. Coal River Mountain Watch, CRMW.net. And now, from high in the hills of beautiful West Bicod, Virginia, here's Bob Kincaid on the Head On Radio Network. Well, howdy. Off and running on this Wednesday, the 14th day of December 2022. This is the horn. Headon.live is where you'll find us on the interweb tubes. It's also where you go if you'd like to be part of the merry, wacky, zany, real-time, madcap multimedia extravaganza that is the horn chat room in the three hours in which this program is live, Monday through Friday, 5 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 2 to 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, all time zones in between, and the Great Globe Round, and whatever time it is when you're listening to the podcast. And thank you for listening to the podcast, for listening to it at Stitcher, at Spotify, at TuneIn, with the bonus Exxon Mobile ads. Yeah. Um, thank you for listening wherever you're listening. Thank you for listening to Podbean. And thank you for listening at HeadOn.Live. But most importantly, wherever you do listen, pretty please, (sighs) click like, click heart, click thumbs up, whatever, whatever approval icon they offer you, please use it, because otherwise the algorithms are simply blind to our existence. Thanks in advance. You know, like and subscribe. Subscribing helps, too. Subscribing, if you're listening, it, it, well, wherever. Subscribing also goes, hey, these people like this. So it would be really helpful if you would do that. Anyway, uh, um, uh, Ralph's just left, but Anatole and Squeaky are the early arrivers, and they're capably moderated by long by uh, pinch hit midweek chat room utility moderator and all-around great guy, Steve, Brother Bishop Steve from Georgia Stan. Steve! As well as our uh, Horn resident agronomist and chief mathematician, Roger, in Oregon. Thanks, guys, for being there and uh, being the... (laughs) Steve and Roger are cops. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, Yeah, I just like that. Uh, But anyway, it is prayer meeting Wednesday on the Horn, and... We got some prayer meeting stuff, without a doubt. But I don't want to get ahead of myself. 
because, uh, well, every program here at the Horn begins with gratitude, and this program is no different, so we say thank you to our 14th day of the month subscribers, and that means a big thank you to uh, uh, Matt in San Francisco, and thanks as well to Ralph's. Thank you both for being there on the 14th of the month. That's so helpful and so kind. And our fundraising goal stands at $630 for this Wednesday, the 14th day of December. I swear the first one of you, the first one of you smart asses who, who, who write and go, no, Robin, it's Thursday. <sighs> I don't have the patience. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, uh, fundraising goals at 630 bucks. Thanks so much for making sure that one bill got paid last night. That means that we still have uh, the stress line tonight. Yay. So now we'll move toward making sure we still have electricity and making sure we still have internet and water and, all, and everything else that goes with, uh, well, maintaining this program. Okay. So 630 and much obliged. And just check the PayPal account after all the bill paying. There's a 76 cents in it. Mm -hmm. um, so where to begin on this prayer meeting Wednesday? Um, uh, just early on, uh, uh, apropos of nothing, kind of bummed out that... Uh, kind of bummed out that France beat Morocco in the World Cup, even though the World Cup is horribly, horribly corrupt. I was rooting for Morocco. Nice to root, root for, the, uh, for the former colonies against their colonizers. Um, it, yeah. So, eh, got to find another, got to find another Cinderella. Um, I guess I'm an Argentina fan now, uh, rooting for Argentina against France, La Belle France. Oh, well. Um, but that having been said, it is, uh, it is prayer meeting Wednesday here on the Horn. Um, and we've got a kind of a prayer meeting-ish story to get us started. Uh, just uh, checking a couple of things before we jump in. No, at any rate, uh, the little old blue-haired ladies and the little old blue-haired men and the little old blue-haired non-binaries there at the uh, Fellowship Hall kitchen uh, did, did a fine job this evening. When it gets coldish like this and damp and wet, you really want something that sticks to your ribs and 
and and and uh, warms your core, and so consequently, uh, they, they 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 made a humongous pot of stew. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a lovely, lovely beef stew. You could taste the, you could taste the, the little little splash of red wine in there, and the carrots, and the onions, and the potatoes, and the celery. Yeah, it was it was yummy. And cornbread. Oh mercy, there was cornbread, hot, piping hot cornbread, and it was so good. Um, and uh, and 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 then uh, some brownies, you know, not not the cannabis kind. But just brownies with nice vanilla ice cream, warm brownies. The uh, the deacons blew through their stew, had some cornbread and butter, and then went after what really matters. They knocked out the brownies. I mean, there there, there wasn't there wasn't there wasn't that even Grinch-sized little brownie crumb left for me to pinch between my two little pretty painted fingernails. Nope, not that gone. And then deacons, being deacons, they trundled their massive bulk up the couple of flights of stairs and went outside to the parking lot where, even though it is gray and cold, they still managed to <sighs> chain smoke a couple with the sinners and stood around, hey, buddy, you got a light? Yeah, right. So, uh, nonetheless, I let them have a little bit of time, and then I showed up with the horn solar-powered cattle prod and Gave it a couple of crackles in the air, and that always gets the deacons moving. So, once again, they got their massive bulk trundling, and they stampeded past little me uh, through the vestibule, past the desiccating bowl of buttermints, took a couple of hits off the uh, hand sanitizer, and came wobbling the rest of the way down. You can't fool me, boys. I know. I, I know. I know when. I, I know when I'm smelling. Uh, hand sanitizer that's been made with pure grain alcohol. And they're waiting with the heavy brass-bound, velvet-lined, burgundy velvet-lined plates that have the PayPal button in the bottom. And uh, just waiting for the uh, Minister of Music to start, then they'll start moving through the pews. Just press that button and pass it, press it and pass it, press it and pass it. And hopefully we'll get to work on the uh, internet bill and the power bill and hold back the terror for another evening. So, uh, uh, um, sibling minister of music, if you would, please. And he said it's time for you to leave behind the things of this world. The fine houses, the fancy cars, the flashy clothes, because we are all naked in the eyes of the Lord. Stop! Ladies and gentlemen, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let me hear you say, Amen. Let me hear you say, Praise the Lord. Let me hear you say, I will empty the contents of my wallet into that little collection plate when it comes around. And it's all tax-free. Hallelujah! Praise the Lord for all the cash I've got. Praising for my Rolls Royce and my yacht. Serving God ain't hard with a credit card. Jesus died so I could make a lot. Praise the Lord, He's made us millionaires. Wave your donations in the air. We've replaced our hymns with ATMs. And soon we'll charge a fee on every prayer. 
Jesus Christ was a poor man, don't you know? He should have used our accountants for his cash flow. Stop the Sermon on the Mount, he should have had a bank account. Two thousand years with interest, he'd be rolling in the dough. Praise the Lord, this song's out on CD, just forty ninety-five plus GST. Hallelujah, plenty of moolah, solid gold baubles on my Christmas tree. I've got all of heaven's riches, thanks to all you stupid bitches. Praise the Lord for modern Christianity. Yeah, whoever said religion should be I love you. Welcome, welcome, brethren and sisters and nibblings to the prayer meeting Wednesday services here at the Cathedral of Common Sense. I'm I'm calling to you now. I'm calling to you. I want you to get up on your seat, off of your seat, and onto your feet, and scrunch and scrunch and scrunch and wiggle and waggle and waddle and get out from betwixt the pews before you could pew anybody else. And come on down that blood red aisle and fall. Fall upon your knees at the altar and lay your hands upon the subwoofer and feel the healing rays of common sense of her glory flowing through you. Amen. Hallelujah. I am Archpope, Uber Rabbi, antag antagonized agnostic, maximum metropolitan, Archpope, Uber Rabbi, ultimate imam, <sighs> naughty nun, sanctimonious sister. Aggravated Abbess. Yes, Robin Kincaid. And it is prayer meeting Wednesday on the horn. Glory. Glory. Just feel, feel, feel the holiday gloriousness is, 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 is circulating round about your little pumpkin head. Amen and amen. We Oddly enough, I don't think she's ever headlined a prayer meeting Wednesday before, but... Uh, Lo and behold, we have some. We 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 have a Joni Ernst sighting. Yes. Uh, Ms. Joni, you may recall, is is the junior senator from the state of Iowa, and uh, she she is famous in her own right as a celebrated hog castrator. Don't take my word for it. That that's what she says. You know, she who, as she was running for her first term in the Senate, talked about the long days in which she wore Wonder Bread bags upon her feet to walk through 15 feet of snow to school every day, uphill both ways, subsisting only on mustard and mayonnaise sandwiches. Well, for once in her life, she did something right. Because back when the Senate was voting on the um the uh the the, the, the marriage equality bill, well uh she was one of the handful of Republicans who actually voted in favor of the Respect for Marriage Act. 
And now, oh my mercy, uh, merciful heavens, uh, my 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 lanta, my stars and garters, all them maggots out in Iowa are terribly, terribly upset. Oh. It's just it, it, the, the, uh, the, the, the pale, pale maggots there in Iowa are deeply disturbed with their senator. They shot the hog glory. They thought they had, they thought she had conservative family values. And there she goes, a voting to make sure that the gays can stay married and get married and, 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 and people of different ethnicities can get married and stay married if they want to. Uh huh. Uh, she and 11 other Republicans voted to make this incredibly weak piece of legislation um, a, a part of the law of the land. And uh, now the Republican county organizations there in Iowegistan are voting to censure or condemn Joni Ernst. Um... Des Moines and Guthrie and Ida and Mahaska and Pocahontas and Van Buren and Wright counties in Iowa uh, have all voted to condemn or censure her. Uh, the, the Des Moines group of maggots saying that same-sex marriage, quote, clearly violates the laws of nature and of nature's God, the source of our rights and thus state recognition of homosexual unions will lead to numerous tyrannies being imposed on our people. I think they added an extra Y in there. You know how Republicans are constantly thinking. of Numerous trannies being imposed on our people. Uh, naturally, uh, Chuck Grassley, who once actually ate the dinner off of a young girl state attendee, our beloved sister Carol Baker, well, uh, he voted against uh, protecting the marriages of uh, same-sex couples and protecting the marriage of, say, Clarence pubes on the Coke can Fappy Thomas and his uh, his his white trad wife uh, Virginia Ginsurrectionist Thomas. Yeah. Uh, of course, President Biden has now signed that uh, signed that piece of legislation into law. And uh, well, Joni Ernst was. I get the idea she's a little pissed. She said, among other things, that she stands by her vote by God. I don't agree with the censure, she said. But I will say that I stand by my vote, and I hope that more people will actually read the bill and understand we have just improved upon religious liberty protections, not just in Iowa, but across the United States. <sighs> yeah, just like that, Ralphs. Yes, that—that's a joke. I can make that joke. Um, but isn't it interesting that she has to frame the fact that she engaged in an act of common decency 
as somehow improving religion in America. Yeah, she said that... uh, She said, so uh, you, can, you can think about those that might have a religious opposition to baking cakes for same-sex marriages. That's already covered in the law, but this only applies to government actors. Again, not private individuals or churches. I want everybody to remember, she added, churches, those houses dedicated to worshiping the Prince of Peace who hung out with whores and tax collectors and stupid people, and everybody pretty much except the rich. Yeah, uh, none of his churches are going to have to recognize the marriage of any same-sex couples or even interracial couples. What they're doing, Joni Ernst said, is censuring me for maintaining the status quo and actually providing greater religious freedoms for everyone across the United States of America. Well, you know, we'll take our praise even if it's faint. Good on you, I guess, Joni. You know, we live in a time now when Uh, When a Republican gets even something really basically simply correct, we have to make a big deal out of it. Because they're delicate and they're dainty and they want to be praised to high heaven when they do something that any other, any decent human being would do without thinking twice. Every Democrat in the House of Representatives voted in favor of this measure. And they did so because it was the right thing to do. And you don't hear a word about one of them. Oh, but... but and, and what it is, it's, it's the parable of the prodigal son uh, being replayed in real time where all the other sheep or, or, or all the other kids... You know, you read the New Testament. It, it's it, one minute it's sheep, and the ne- next minute it's a kid, it's a boy. And... <sighs> Don't worry, that's just dad. You know how it goes. But you know, the parable of the prodigal son says, you know, all the other family members stayed home and did what their parents said and behaved themselves, but there was this one little shit heel kid who went off and partied and. And, and and didn't keep the commandments or the Sabbath or nothing. And and then uh, eventually, well, ran out of money. And so he came back home with his tail between his legs. It, it, leave that image, be And furries, 2,000 years ago. Who knew? And he comes back home and, and, and old Pops is like, hey! The kid's back. Let's throw a huge party. And does. And the kids who, you know, stayed there and did what they were supposed to do, eventually they look at the old man and they go, Hey, what about us? Hey, Lama, how about something for the effort? And Pops says, Look, 
I'm throwing a party for him because he came home. He went out and he had a blast, and then he gets, then he got a sad, and he came home because he's out. So we're definitely throwing a party for him. You just keep doing the right thing, okay? There are a lot of parables that are like that, where uh, the 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 message doesn't quite come across like maybe they'd hoped it would. Sort of like reading the whole book of Job. Oh well, but there's there's there, there's Joni. Everybody clap for Joni. Yay, Joni! Yay! You did a simple, decent thing. Yay! But then again, this is the Republican Party in America in 2022, toward the end thereof. I mean, there are only 17 days left in this poor, tired year. But, yeah, we've got a, yay, Joni, yeah. I, th- this, is, this is the Republican Party of the, the early years of the third decade of the 21st century, in which... We have to clap for them when they don't shit and paint it on the walls of the Capitol. Oh, look at y'all. You're so good. We love you so much. Look at you not pottying on the floor of the rotunda and, 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 rub, and rubbing down Captain John Smith with it. Oh, you're wonderful. Yay. Hey. <sighs> That's where we... That's where we are. Oh, well. And that's where we begin this evening. It is by no means where we end. Um, Yesterday, when uh, Scott called in from his rehab facility, and we had such a Jim Dandy good time, um... Well, um, we talked some about Hunter Walker, who got Mark Meadows' text messages. You might recall the congressman from South Carolina who said, Trump's got to declare martial law. I was, you know, I was talking to Annette earlier today, and she's a proud daughter of uh, the oldest public, or the oldest one of the oldest universities in West Virginia, Marshall, named for former Chief Justice John Marshall, who once visited this area. The state park nearby, which is called Hawk's Nest now, named for a town that was drowned to create um, a lake for Union Carbide. My grandfather was born there in 1894. Uh, The park's called Hawk's Nest now. Uh, Back when John Marshall was wandering around here, it was called uh, Marshall's Pillars. But anyway, uh, I asked her, I think, I I, I asked her, I said, Honey, do you think the student code of conduct down there where you used to go to college, is? do you think think they call it the Marshall Law? Ha! Because we were talking about the, you know, the, funny little insurrectionist congressman from the home of American sedition, South Carolina. Marshall Law. Remember Scott said, get Marshall Dillon and tell Chester to limp on in there if he can get there. To- I've been giggling about that all day. Um, 
Uh, hey, Cam. Uh, Kim in New York writing in. Hope all's well. I missed yesterday's program. Just heard you say that Scott's in rehab. Is he okay? Uh, you may have heard last week that Scott was having some mobility issues. Well, he got to the point, Kim, where he couldn't get off the get off the ground. Just legs not working. Um, so he got transported to a hospital. They put him inside a couple of machines that go make really loud noises and. One of them sounds like you're living inside the inside the uh, uh, I don't know the uh, master copy of Pink Floyd's uh, "Welcome to the Machine." And what they found out is he's got uh, nerve impingement at L3, L4, and that was causing his leg problems. So they shipped him from the hospital to the rehab facility, and he's getting that they're 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 therapizing him. And he's going to get him back to being able to be up on his own pins and operating on, under his own steam. So uh, that's that's where that's where Scott is. I, you know, for all I know, Scott's listening right now. Hi, Scott. Uh, but thanks for caring and thanks for asking, Kim. That was really sweet of you. Um. <laughs> Emilio. Will, get, will Gwyneth Paltrow be giving Joni Ernst a explosionary gift basket to praise her? Oh, I don't know. Maybe something a little bit more elegant, like maybe a jade egg. To, no, let's not talk about that. But anyway, Hunter Walker. Um, Hunter Walker is ma- was making the rounds of the TV shows talking about what he saw, what he read. In that, and, and apparently he has sobered up since because there's no way you could go through Mark Meadows' uh, wild-eyed maggot email tranche sober, as we discussed yesterday. But he showed up on uh, my filthy morning habit and seemed really kind of, well, shocked. <laughs> but here it is in the White House. I mean, it's I heard it uh, around the time of the elections. A friend of mine, somebody I know and love, said, hey, well, why aren't you guys looking at the Italian satellite? A defense contractor living in Italy is alleged to have uploaded software to a satellite that changed votes from Donald Trump to Joe Biden. That was the theory. And we laugh about it, except here it is being pushed all the way to the White House. And by the way, don't forget, Donald Trump had DOJ look into that conspiracy theory. I mean, that's the thing that like, there, there's a number of things that strike, that strike me in hearing about this reporting, um, Hunter. The first is as bad as we assume things were, when we get to a little glimpse into reality, it's actually worse than we assumed. And it is easy to laugh about these things, except, as you said, forwarding this to DOJ, becoming part of the, not just becoming part of the record, but having the Department of Justice actually act on, act on these things. And we saw how it, it, how it ended up. And when you, I know that there's more text to come, but you, you do have a better glimpse than the rest of us about where this is going. And when you look at the totality of what you've read, can you give us a sense of what picture sort of emerges for you that may be different Mm. than, because in a couple of weeks or sometime before Christmas, right, we're going to see the Jan 6 committee report we're going to see this more of this out in the open what does it look like to you you know i think we're touching on something that um is really a central thing for me here um you know i covered the trump white house and i think a big question was how many people are in on the joke so to speak and how many people are true believers well i first 
you know, became familiar with the text log when I was working on my book, The Breach, which is about the January 6th investigation. And I co-wrote it with um, Denver Riggleman, who's a former Republican member of Congress, and he was a staffer on the committee. So he knows a lot of these people. And he was shocked when he first opened the text log. He led the phone team, and he said, you know, it was like looking into the mouth of madness. And even with that sort of introduction, when I started looking at it, I had a similar reaction. I mean, we're seeing adults, adults who are in government, mm. not only engage in frighteningly undemocratic democratic rhetoric, but, you know, their base intelligence, frankly, is called into question. I mean, you're talking about that wild Italian theory. People were taking it seriously. We see another instance that we're going to detail where someone has, you know, a bizarre theory from a Romanian YouTube video that mm. any of us would know not to tweet <laughs> based on stuff from 2005 that they somehow thought carried over to 2022. I mean, the information literacy of our members of Congress is called into question here. And that's part of why, you know, we thought it was so important to present more of a totality of these texts than you've seen anywhere else before. And also our tech team worked very hard to make sure you can see them in a phone as they were received because the typos, the wild links, Oof. all of this is really important. And one last point I'll make, and this is really Really something that shouldn't be lost in this discussion. We see the pressure. We see it in real time in these texts that was on people like Doug Ducey, that was on people like Brad Raffensperger, that was on people like Arizona Attorney General Mark Burnovich. I mean, uh, Scott Perry, the same guy who's sending this Italian theory, is talking about, you know, lobbying to have Trump pressure the Italian government and Pennsylvania legislators. And, you know, I think one of the things we see is that if these people had given in to the pressure, all of this plotting just might have worked. Well, that's terrifying. Yeah. Because you can't count on Republicans to do the right thing. But I, you got to admit that that line, mouth of, mouth of madness, that's got a ring to it. Um, as to Joni Ernst, Steve in New York says, praising her for her vote is the same as praising Mike Pence for not participating in a coup. I know I've never participated in a coup and haven't even considered it. Where's my praise? I know. Well, you're just normal. These are special. These are maggots. But uh, in, in addition to uh, that mouth of madness uh, quip, oh, look. Back in 2020, we had a tweet, um, in, 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 this is all in the Mark Meadows tranche, and there's representing Louis Gohmert, Louis Asparagus Gohmert, and he was absolutely batshit crazy to get nitwit Nero to do something relative to January 6th. On January the 8th, 2021... Louis Asparagus Gomert texted Mark Meadows imploring him to uh, tell the depart to have um, the Nero tell the Department of Justice. <sighs> well, at least this one isn't the Italian satellite. No, Louis Asparagus Gomert wrote. Constitutional loyal DOJ personnel have 11 days to prove the truth. Antifa led the breach of the Capitol. 
If the evidence is not shown to the public in 11 days, then it'll be subverted, and the false narrative will likely be the Trump legacy that DT and his law supporters, under his urging, attacked the Capitol. It was a brilliant leftist op, but it's got to be exposed by DOJ quick. It goes without saying that Antifa had absolutely nothing to do with January 6th. No, we were up to up to our eyeballs in oath keepers and proud boys and free percenters and Boogaloo Incel Tactical Command Headquarters Executive Staff. But that didn't even slow Louis Asparagus Gomert down. I don't know. Maybe when you maybe when you compare a Republican behaving normally to say any day in the life of Louis Asparagus Gomert, maybe, maybe, maybe we need to give him a cookie after all. Because the stupid is strong with these. It really is. Antifa. But him. Uh, him, Louie, telling Mark Meadows to get the DOJ to manufacture evidence that Antifa was the source of the terrorist attack on the Capitol. Well, frankly, it's another opportunity for us to recognize that not everything is born of the ascension of Julius Geezer. No. Because I remember way back in 2001, right after the Twin Towers came down, I remember how Dumya got his uh, national security guy in there and said, Hey, listen up. I want you to dig around. Uh, and, and I want you to find me the proof that Saddam was behind all this. And what was his name? Richard, Richard, Richard something. And he said, uh, but sir, um, Saddam Hussein was not behind this, sir. This was this was an Al-Qaeda attack. You don't give a shit. You go back and bring me some evidence that it was Saddam. You hear me? Yeah, uh, okay, sir. Um, and of course, he did not come back with evidence that Saddam Hussein was behind 9-11, because Saddam Hussein was not behind 9-11 no matter how badly Dumya wanted it and wanted him to be behind 9-11. And so, instead, uh, the Reign of Error administration just made some crap up. Uh, you remember yellow cake uranium from Niger? You, you, you remember the aluminum tubes? You remember the mobile weapons labs that... Uh, Colin Powell said, this is real evidence. This is not speculation. And you remember how kind of sleazy rice goes great with kind of sleazy chicken. Remember how kind of sleazy rice said, uh, we do not want the smoking gun to be a mushroom cloud. When Saddam Hussein had absolutely no ability whatsoever to menace the United States of America or any of the rest of the world with any kind of nuclear warfare device. Remember that? Yeah? I guess what I'm trying to say is that 
a willingness to lie to get their way is baked in to being a loyal Republican. Of course, remember Liz Cheney's daddy out there pushing the pushing the the the, the mendacious narrative, the lies. That Iraq was behind 9-11? Well, we obviously know that Saddam has nuclear capabilities and he'd use them on the United States if he even got half a chance. Sorry I talk like this. I don't actually have a pulse. Well, he, uh, I mean, he did that. And he didn't have a pulse at the time. Damnedest thing. But then life got better for Dick Cheney, and he got some decent human being's heart in his chest. And I've always wondered what they did to that person to get... Never mind. We got so close to such disaster. And I don't think we ever really knew. And of course it is the 14th of December. And it was exactly 10 years ago today. I I, I remember... I remember it well because Ferg and I were on the road. We were driving down to Knoxville to do a panel discussion about mountaintop removal at the University of Tennessee... And as usual, and much to young Ferg's, I mean, goodness gracious, he would have been 16. How time flies. Much to young Ferg's consternation, I was listening, as I always have to do, to uh, National Petroleum Radio. And heard the absolutely heartbreaking, shocking... Revelation that a young white man with a handful of guns had gone into Sandy Hook Elementary and ended the universe for a whole bunch of little ones, six and seven year olds. Awful. And I just, I mean, I I can remember the quality of the sunset as we were driving down and listening to it. And I remember the shock on Ferg's face. And I remember just being stunned into complete silence and just listening to, and trying to process that something that awful had just happened. And at the same time knowing that because we have Republicans in this country, 
nothing would be done about it. Because, well, to Republicans, guns, more guns, more and more and more and more and more guns are infinitely more important than a first grader's ability to go to second grade. And thus did it prove to be true. And so today in Newtown, Connecticut, there have been vigils solemn memorials of a day that changed that town forever. It, 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 may, it may be a thousand years, and if there's still anything vaguely resembling Newtown, Connecticut, they'll say, oh yeah, here, that day. Adam Lanza. Adam Lanza, whose mother... Mother Lanza was an absolute hoarder freak and a gun nut and used to take her boy shooting because shooting's a good family activity. Well, Adam blew Mama away and then headed for Sandy Hook Elementary. Last month, a memorial to what happened at Sandy Hook opened to the public. It sits on five acres that border the grounds of the school. And the, 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 the main focus of it is a circular water feature where the names of the 26 slain victims of the Second Amendment are engraved on granite capstones so that perhaps they will weather some centuries. Skeff Bissett was there. And said, as, as, as uh, he walked around the memorial and read each name of the children who would now be juniors or seniors in high school, this is a celebrity nobody wants. The only reason I'm here, you know, remembering this is because 26 people lost their lives. We're blessed that our kids are continuing to thrive and grow. And, of course, any mention of the 10th anniversary of Sandy Hook, well, we would be remiss if we did not mention that it made Alex Jones fabulously wealthy. There's, an, uh, there's a court order out there for him to pay some $1.5 billion for the disgusting lies he spread about the incident. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, those are crisis actors. 
Uh, nobody really died at Sandy Hook. Such that parents have been tormented by Alex Jones's hairy knuckled, mouth walking, knuckle breathing freak followers in the ten years in the interim. And to my knowledge, no one has gotten a dime out of him yet. Now, the news story that I'm looking at, which comes from Reuters, says uh, the commemoration also comes six months after the U.S. Congress passed the first major federal gun reform in three decades, a bipartisan bill that came together just weeks after two teachers and 19 elementary school students were killed in Uvalde, Texas, and 10 people were shot to death at a supermarket in Buffalo, New York. I think calling that major federal gun reform is a major disservice to the memories of everyone who has ever died as a result of Second Amendment violence. Maybe that's part of the. Maybe that's part of it. Maybe we need to stop referring to it as gun violence and refer to it as Second Amendment violence. It's a pretty good bet that we wouldn't have as many of these as we do if we didn't have an absolutely pornographic reading of the Second Amendment promulgated by fat, dead Tony Scalia and the other punks and thugs and judicial vandals on the Supreme Court of the United States. And uh, the fact of the matter is, that piece of gun reform does something so near nothing to ma- as to make the distinction between it and nothing strictly academic about preventing the next one. And the saddest thing about any commemoration at Sandy Hook is that no one there God, no one there can utter the words never again because we know for certain there will be an again. Rob Elementary and Uvalde prove there is a never, a, there, there is no never again. And so sometime in 2032, I mean, if I'm still around and still doing this, I'll probably remember this evening when I mentioned that in 2032 there will be gatherings at a memorial in Uvalde, Texas to remember the slaughtered there and another white boy with another boatload of issues, mommy, daddy, and otherwise, who obtained a weapon of war with more ease than he could have gotten a fucking fishing license, went and opened the yawning gates of hell and loosed it upon the earth.
It's a hell of a thing to think about looking into the future. Sometimes we, we want to look into the future and think that, ah, maybe we're getting toward the Star Trek. No, we're not getting toward the Star Trek days. We're getting toward the Mad Max days. Maybe, there's our obligatory Star Trek reference. But maybe, maybe we have to go, maybe we have to go through that before we get to the Star Trek time. For the sake of our progeny and our future. I hope there's a Star Trek future out there when all we have to worry about is the Borg and there's a decent chance of making peace with the Klingons. And I wonder... And of course, let's be clear, in 2032... We still will have not done anything to stop this. By 2032, it'll be 10 years past Uvalde, 20 past Sandy Hook. We'll have memorials in the spring and memorials in the fall. And by 2032... We'll probably have another, or another, and another, or another, and another, and another, or another, and another, and another, and another, or another, and another, and another, and another, and another one of these to commemorate. Because we have Republicans. Because we have the National Ruble, I mean Rifle Association. Because we have millions of pasty-faced, doughy white men whose dicks have long since ceased to work, who somehow repose their flagging manhood in the possession of a war machine with which they can pretend they are still masculine. I wish I was wrong. Not wrong. In your mind's eye, you can see them disassembling their AR-15s and lovingly cleaning the barrels and oiling them and checking the bluing to make sure there's no pitting and stroking them, polishing them with a lint-free cloth until they glisten and gleam, and putting them back together with the love and the tenderness that normal, decent human beings reserve for those they love. Those are all the things that I've been thinking about today. Ten years on. I saw an article earlier that interviewed some survivors who have every day of their lives since December the 14th, 2012 
thought about that day, thought about a boy who was a best friend, whom they saw chopped to chutney in the name of the Second Amendment. who have had nightmares intermittently for ten long years and, and can well expect to have them for the remainder of their days. But Republicans could not care less. That phrase means that they care absolutely not at all. Oh, tots and pears, shut the up. Second Amendment's why we're great here in America. And they are monsters. Even the ones who don't prove the difference between a lawful gun owner and an awful gun owner is merely the capital letter L. Even the ones who don't go out and shoot up a school or a supermarket. They are bad people for even wanting the ability to do it. Because that is what owning and possessing a semi-automatic assault rifle means. Nobody buys these things to go deer hunting. Don't you kid yourself. Anybody who walked into the woods with one of these things to squirrel hunt, well, hell, there wouldn't be a, there, there wouldn't be a bit of fl- a tail fluff left from the squirrel that gets hit with one of those rounds. The only reason people buy these is because they are horrifyingly impressive weapons with which to destroy other human lives. And most of them are owned by people who do at some point in time fantasize about the slaughter that is part and parcel of the ownership. To his credit, today President Biden said that, uh, well, we got to do more. He is still calling for Congress, and Congress is the only body that can do anything. He is still calling for Congress to actually care more about little first graders, little second graders, little third graders, little fourth graders than they do about some puzzle-gutted fuck-faces' ability to hold a weapon of war. Those are my words, not his. Today, President Biden said we owe it to the courageous young survivors and to the families who lost part of their soul ten years ago to turn their pain into purpose. Enough is enough. He's not wrong. Earlier this morning, representatives of the National Teachers Hall of Fame, which is housed in Kansas, laid a wreath with six white roses and 20 miniature carnations at the memorial. They were drawing a line between Sandy Hook and Emporia, Kansas. 
where there was another slaughter. Carol Strickland, who read the names of the six teachers who laid down their lives trying to save their young charges, said, We want the people of Newtown, Connecticut to know that halfway across the country, in the heart of America, we remember those people that were so dear to you. Mark Barden, he had a seven-year-old boy named Daniel who was killed in the name of Second Amendment freedom at Sandy Hook. One of the founders of Sandy Hook Promise, they try to educate teachers and students on how to recognize a potential problem in the offing Well, Reuters talked to him, and Mark Barden said, I feel it's important that folks hold some time to reflect on those that have been lost through this preventable shooting epidemic. If everybody does a little bit, we can really make a difference. The key word there is everybody. But as long as maggots keep voting for maggot candidates... As long as Republicans keep voting Republican, we are assured, we are guaranteed that there will be another one. And the Republican Party is all for it. The Rafaelito Eduardo Cruz anointed booger eating future king of Americas. A guy so filled with hate that he drove his own daughter to attempt suicide. A man who calls himself a Christian but could not care less about the Next, Sandy Hook. The next, Uvalde. Nope. And it's not just him. It's his, it's his uh, colleague in the Senate in Texas. It's John Cornholio. And yeah, it's Joni Ernst, whom we started the program with. It's Moscow Mitch McConnell. And Rand Paul, libertarian ophthalmologist. And Shelley Moore, Capito, my junior senator. And Joe Manchin, who kicked off his campaign a few years ago by pinning a copy of the cap and trade bill to a tree and then shooting it with a 30 6 And it's Tommy the Tuber in Alabama and Cindy Hyde Smith in Mississippi Stan. It's Cassidy and Kennedy in Louisiana Stan. And whatever pair of 
wild-eyed madmen are representing Oklahoma-stan or Arkansas-stan. And it's Marsha Triple X Blackburn in Tennistan and whoever her colleague is. It's Miss Lindsey Graham in South Carolina, Stan. And uh, Tim Scott in South Carolina, Stan. Not one of them will ever cast a vote to save a single living child. Not one. Not if it means of offending their owners in the gun industry. So, how do we get to that place that Mr. Braden was talking about? Barden, rather. Where if everybody does a little bit, we can really make a difference. You're doing your part, I'm doing mine. How do you reach how do you reach people behind the cornpone curtain? How do you make them understand that it could be their child? That it may be their child, and no one's going to hear them cry, Lord, Lord, after the fact. And this being prayer meeting Wednesday, well, here in about an hour, they'll be having a memorial mass at St. Rose of Lima Church in Newtown. Four other churches are also holding services this evening for prayer. Reminds me of that verse you can find in the book of James. Faith. And wow, does this turn out to be painfully true. Faith without works is dead. Don't really know where to go after that. It's so grim and so painful. It's so awful. You know, Steve in New York, um, mentioned something earlier to me. Steve said, I figured out a way to do something about gun violence. We legally define children up to, say, 18 as fetuses. Oh, well, then, then maybe. Sure, sarcasm. But, yeah. Be nice to really hear somebody 
unlimber themselves of exactly how they feel about these Republicans who put guns before children and yet claim to be the member of the party live. Randy Radar notes, the Bible spoke of false prophets and by their fruits you will know them. Uh, the fruits of the Republican Party are, to say the least, deadly, poisonous. Okay, Christopher, that helps. Post-representing Louie. I heard that Louie Asparagus Gomert's getting sugar daddy Ilno, Elon, uh, to bankroll a new multimedia venture called Goober TV in addition to reruns of the Beverly Hillbillies, Green Acres, and Gomer Pyle, Louie will be... Hey, you left out Petticoat Junction, damn it. Louie will be starring in his own first-run special. He'll be scouring the muckiest of mucky swamps in Merca, searching for snapping turtles to wrestle naked. The show will be entitled Snap to It, emceed by Moscow Mitch himself, of course. Snap to it. I really hope that doesn't come true, Christopher, because I'm still a Beverly Hillbillies, Green Acres and, and fan. And I know, um, I know, I know someone, uh, someone else who's a, who's a Gomer Pyle fan. Hootie hoot! Hootie hoot! Yeah. So I have, in fact, filibustered the uh, first hour of the program. The lines are open. Mercifully, we have the stress line this evening, yay, and uh, that's because of y'all. We've got a fundraising goal of $630. That will help knock down the uh, next handful of bills. So, yeah, what's that, Stephen New York says? Star Trek? I'm all for peace with the Klingons, but not with the Kardashians. I can't stand Kim. Okay, you get me. Yeah. I'm pretty much generally anti-Kardashian. Without a doubt. So, if you want to get involved in the program, you're more than welcome to jump in. That would be uh, 844-843-4676, 844-THE-HORN. And, of course, Bob Kincaid Horn on Skype. We'll do something about that someday. Um, so, anyway, jump in if you want to. we got lots more. Well, I mean... We can uh, we can always go back to some more prayer meeting Wednesday stuff. 
he enter uh, and we've talked about this clown before Shane Vaughn who claims he has been stricken by a stroke of genius sure it's not the stroke a lot of people were hoping for yeah this is uh, this is special Pastor Shane Vaughn of Mississippi Stan has been uh, inspired by, of all things, Herschel Hirsch Walker, Texas Stranglers, boss. Get the hockey puck. And what we must do is repeal 17. Otherwise, you're going to have a blue house and a blue Senate, and ladies and gentlemen, you cannot govern that way. I knew it. When I saw Herschel Walker lose that election, and I saw a massive turnout of red all over that state. Matter of fact, it was more of a turnout than they were expecting. The state showed up to get a red representative, a, a senator. However, Atlanta said, no, not today. We're going to give you Warlock. It's not fair. Oh, he's clever. It's not fair. I'm telling you, it's not fair. They give us Warlock. I wonder how long they've been using that out in the fever swamps of the Internet. So, um... When he says we got to repeal 17, what he means is the 17th Amendment. The 17th Amendment, which is the amendment that provided for the direct election of members of the United States Senate. I'm guessing Shane Vaughn hasn't looked at the 2024 Senate map and seen... What an uphill climb Democrats have uh, in 2024. The, uh, what is it, um, 24 Senate seats to defend for Democrats versus 11 for Republicans? And, of course, most of those 11 for Republicans will be, I think it's safe to say, reelected with no problem. Let's take a quick look at that. We've looked at it recently. November 5th, 2024. How many how many how many places do they have to sweat the Republicans out of the uh Utah. No, not going to sweat that. Wyoming, nope. North Dakota, nope. Nebraska, nope. Texas, nope. Missouri, nope. Taliban, Indiana, uh-uh. Tennessee, no way. Mississippi, eh. And uh, I guess Rick Skeletor Scott is up in Florida. Hell, the, 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 the Republicans can just take a breather. In 2024 in the Senate races. 
whereas um, Montana, for instance, where John Teaster will be running for re-election as a Democrat, uh, that's going to be a fight. It's going to be a fight in New Mexico, very likely. Minnesota will be a fight. Tammy Baldwin will have to fight in Wisconsin. It'll be a fight in Michigan. And oh dear Jesus, uh, Sherrod Brown will have the fight of his life in Ohio. Not sure about Virginia. That may prove to be a fight too. Pennsylvania's in the mix. Eh, probably not a big struggle in New York. New Jersey's up. Delaware's up. Angus King will have to fight in Maine. And given the current makeup of the Senate, lose a couple of those and shit goes downhill in a hurry. But, well, don't tell Shane Vaughn. He wants to make sure that we go back to having no say whatsoever in the election of senators. Good for you, Shane. I guess. Uh, He's not done, though. Oh, no. Not by a long shot. I love it when these divines d- decide that, in fact, that they are political experts. We cannot defeat the population centers without the Electoral College. Now, I said all that to say, let's go to Georgia. Last week on Tuesday night, we were all watching. And what is Georgia? From top to bottom, across the whole thing, what color is Georgia? Why? It's all red, is it not? The entire state is conservatives. All rushing to the polls. They came to the polls that day and blew the numbers out the water. And they were winning their state. They were turning their state in the right direction until they hit that blue area called Atlanta, Georgia. And now, good try, all you great citizens of Georgia. Thank you for coming to the polls, but you have a problem. Your voice doesn't matter because you don't have the majority of the population. So therefore, You really shouldn't have even shown up to vote because we're going to stop you in the population centers. And I looked across that state and I said, you know what? Everyone in that state is a conservative except for those two blue dots. And that's when it hit me like a stroke of genius. That's what the founding fathers feared for the nation But what they feared for the nation is happening in the states. The office of a senator is just like the office of the president. It is a statewide campaign. It is statewide. Therefore, I am of the opinion 
that the only way to save the Senate in the United States of America is that the Senate election should also be done by the Electoral College of a state. You got that? You notice how he says that every voter in the state of Georgia is a right-wing POS? Every voter, except in the urban areas. Yeah? Yeah. (laughs) I wonder what he means by urban. And I can guarantee you that, no, every voter, what he means is every white voter, but no, he can't say that. And then there's the fact that not even every white voter is a right-wing POS like him. But it's a hell of a nice little confession when you say that, hey, we can never win because we can't get a majority. What he's really complaining about is... uh, the people who are not as pale as him getting to uh, getting to vote. But I do love it when they... Uh, we cannot defeat the population. Shut up. I didn't say anything to you. I love it. I love it when they tell us who they are. God Almighty. And just one more because it's fun. Remember David Barton? This being prayer meeting Wednesday and all. Remember David Barton? He's a uh, he's a famous liar. He calls himself a historian, but he doesn't do history. He does propaganda. Well, he decided to unburden himself on the history of huh, the due process clause. If you look at what we have in the fourth through the eighth amendments of the U.S. Constitution, we call those the due process clauses. This is where you get the right to trial by jury. You get the right to confront your accusers. You get the right to compel witnesses in your own behalf. You get the right to speak in your own defense. There's about a dozen rights listed in, in the due process clauses. If you practice federal law, there's what's called federal practice procedures, a set of law books that goes from here to the wall over there. If you pull out volume 30 of federal practice and procedure, which is on on the due process clauses, there's 20 pages in there showing historically how that every single right in the due process clauses came directly out of the Bible. The right to confront your accuser is John 8.10. The right to compel witnesses on your behalf is Proverbs 18.17. The right to speak in your own defense is Acts 22.1 and et cetera. Bible shaped our due process clauses. No, we thought the Constitution shaped it. No, they quoted the Bible in the Constitution. That's where we got those rights. They understood it. They were Bible scholars back in that time, even as political people. Every, every citizen was a Bible scholar. Every. Mm-hmm. Every citizen was a Bible scholar. Here's the problem with that, though. He's going on and on about the... Uh, Due process clause. Don't tell. Don't don't tell this pasty old fraud. 
But, um, well, Clarence Pubes on the Coke Can Fappy Thomas specifically wants to go after cases that are decided based upon the Due Process Clause. You know, Griswold versus Connecticut. Lawrence, Bostock, Obergefell, but not Loving versus Virginia. Because Clarence Pubes on the Coke Can Fappy Thomas is kind of fond of that due process argument because it made it possible for him to marry his white the trad wife gin surrectionist Thomas oh well and just because stupid you're going to get a kick out of this uh, we some of our decent people celebrated the release of Brittany Griner. She's now safely back at home. She'll probably be in therapy for a while. And yeah. But uh, there were months, to say the least, months of negotiations leading to the uh, the swap that brought her home. But Nick Fuentes, the German white supremacist, I mean, the Mexican white, white, white supremacist, he had a different idea. Uh, he, uh, I guess he truthed something. I guess he's on Nitwit Nero's failing media platform. Earlier this month, The was invited to meet with Vladimir Putin in Moscow to secure the release of Brittany Griner. He signed that paper for public release to show his intention to broker the deal. There's a good chance the White House agreed to the prisoner swap in order to prevent this from happening. There's no chance whatsoever they did that. Like, The was going to be able to secure the release of... Oh, never mind. Jesus, these people. Sometimes the stupid is kind of breathtaking. So, at least we got our our prayer meeting Wednesday material in. Sorry, going through this time. I thought this was kind of interesting. Um, Adam Kinzinger went on CNN today making his case for criminally charging Geezer Disgustus for his role in heading up the January 6th terrorist attack on the Capitol. Nice to hear somebody say it out loud. 
House Committee. Congressman, are you confident that your committee will present a full and complete report, even without some of the phone records you went to court to try to get? Yeah, I'm confident. I think, um, look, we've, we presented, I think, a very compelling story over the summer, which is, you know, hey, it's not just the day of January 6th that mattered. What mattered is what led to it. And frankly, the fact that not much has really changed since. And so we've told that story. It will go into some more detail. Certainly, I wish we could have gotten, you know, the phone records we requested, could have had more of the people we asked to come in. But I think we're going to have a very fulsome story to tell with recommendations, which is our job. And now, really, the torch, uh, to an extent, is passed to the Justice Department, as it appears they're investigating as well. And you're going to be presenting the case for criminal referrals during the hearing on Monday. But the Justice Department has to decide whether to act on those referrals. If they decide to not prosecute, will this all have been a waste? No, I don't think so. Because... The information, the who is responsible, that's very important, right? The showing the American people the, the true nature of what happened, that's very important. Where I think this work is going to actually echo the loudest, though, is not even necessarily tomorrow, not even if the Justice Department does. It's going to echo through the history books. It's going to be something that in 10 or 20 years, we look back on the work of this committee. We know the facts of what happened on January 6th. And anybody out there who believes in the conspiracies today their kids and grandkids will not, and in fact will be embarrassed that anybody ever did believe it. And I think that's due largely to the work we've been able to do on this committee. After everything you have learned as a member of the committee, on a personal basis, so not speaking for the committee, but just you personally, do you think that Donald Trump has committed a prosecutable crime related to January 6th and the, and the attempt to overturn the election? Look, I, I have to caveat it with that I'm not a Justice Department official. They have different levels of standards. I think he's guilty of a crime. I mean, look, he knew what he did. We've made that clear. He knew what was happening prior to January 6th. Uh, he pressured the Justice Department officials to say, hey, just say the election was stolen and leave the rest to me and the Republican. All I need you is put the stamp of approval on it. And then you look at the 187 minutes where he sat in his office, not indecisive. I think indecisive would be you know, probably complimentary to him. He was actively resisting pressure from his family and from his staff to stop that from happening. And when he finally saw that law enforcement had turned the tide and that the occupation wasn't going to, going to succeed, only then did he tepidly come out. I think he is absolutely uh, guilty. If he is not guilty of some kind of a crime, I mean, what we've basically said is presidents are above the law and they can do everything short of a coup as long as it doesn't succeed. Your chairman, Democrat Benny Thompson, said that in addition to criminal referrals, uh, there could be other categories of referrals, such as referrals to the House Ethics Committee for ethics violations. Um, CNN has reported that Pennsylvania Congressman Scott Perry, for example, wanted the federal government to, quote, seize, uh, to, quote, preserve voting machines. He wanted them seized. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene told Trump she wanted, uh, she taught, told um, Mark Meadows that President Trump should uh, impose martial law, which she misspelled. Uh, Congressman uh, Norman, uh, also martial law, which he also misspelled. Are these the kinds of people that might be getting ethics committee referrals? I mean, certainly if they resisted a subpoena, that's the kind of things we're going to consider. Um, look, we know we're coming to the end of the term here. Republicans are going to be in the majority 
Um, but I think it is important for us to make the standard, which is like, look, you're, you're in a body here, an investigative body at this point, and we're asking for information from you, and you didn't obey it. You didn't, requ you didn't follow through on that. Now a lot of these people that you just named will be leading investigations themselves and wondering why people won't react to subpoenas. Uh, it's a power we have that's important. Unfortunately, we're not going to be able to pursue much deeper because of the end of the term. Um, but I do think, the, again, the Justice Department's probably looking at what they need to look at. And, you know, I wouldn't feel too comfortable if I was somebody calling for martial law, a United States congressman calling for martial law. Republican Congressman uh, Adam Kinzinger of Illinois, thanks so much for your time today. Appreciate you, it. You bet, Jake. You know, we had a good time with uh, the whole martial law thing last night, Scott and I, in our conversation. But that's a solid point. If you've sworn to uphold the Constitution and you're calling for martial law, you seem to be a bit at odds with your own oath. And so, as disgusting as it might, well, look, flies live on disgusting stuff. So, uh, to be a fly on the wall at, at uh, Merida Lardass, uh, there, you know, sort of stepping with your six little fly legs through all the ketchup dripping from the walls, that's probably not something a fly would complain about. But to be a fly on the wall at Merida Lardass, and hear the conniptions that Nitwit Nero is having, who we? And of course, there's the announcement that uh, the J6 committee will have a public meeting with criminal referrals before they close up shop and issue their final report. Hooey! I that no that we've talked about it being must see TV. Well, yeah, that. Oh, and uh, we've got a little bit of an update on the uh, gush at uh, uh, the Keystone Pipeline there in Northeast Kansas. Well, it turns out that uh, back in 2017, the Keystone Pipeline was given, um, I guess, an exemption would be the term, or <laughs> given the fact that we've, we've, we've turned hydrocarbons into a damn near religion, maybe it would be an indulgence. Um in 2017, the Keystone Pipeline got um, an indulgence to huh, operate at higher pressures than are generally acceptable for the transport of crude oil. We still don't know the exact cause for the largest inland oil dump in the history of the pipeline and in the last 10 years generally in the continental United States. But people are beginning to focus on that indulgence or exemption. The Kansas City Star had the story 
Um, Zach Pistora of the Kansas Sierra Club told the Kansas City Star via email, We know that the pipeline has been plagued by inherent problems associated with its original materials or installation, and sustaining greater pressure or continued corrosion over time can only make this problem worse. And so back in... uh, Back in 2017, God, who was president back then? Who was running the administrative state? I, I can't remember. The uh, Pipeline and Hazardous Materials Safety Administration gave out the exemption that allowed certain segments of the Keystone Pipeline to run at 80% of max recommended pressure as long as it met certain safety criteria. The norm for pipelines like that is 72% of maximum recommended pressure. I'm guessing that they needed, they wanted the extra pressure indulgence so that, uh, because, because that filthy, filthy tar sands crude is thicker and sludgier than ordinary crude. A report from the government, government accountability, the GAO, in 2021 said, PHMSA issued the special permit with 51 conditions that the agency determined would offset the risks of operating the relevant keystone segments at 80% in non-high-consequence areas. PHMSA did not allow TC Energy to fully operate keystone at this higher stress level until 2017. Do you remember when uh, Tangerine Tiberius was grunting around the country about how we've got to have our great pipelines? They're great pipelines, believe me. They're fabulous pipelines, and they've got to run so we can have energy independence. You know, while he was running around over to Saudi Arabia and doing the sword dance with some guys and putting his hands on the orb and stuff. I find that one phrase in the GAO report troublesome. Non-high-consequence areas. Sure feels to me like there's some inherent bias in that. I mean, if a pipeline were, say, running under um, a Tony neighborhood in Omaha, that, I'm sure, would be a high-consequence area. On the other hand, if it's running through a poor neighborhood, that's a non-high-consequence area. Or, say, if it was running uh, under the river on the Standing Rock Reservation, non-high-consequence area. Because remember, the Keystone got re- or, Well, was it the Keystone? The pipeline got rerouted back during the, uh, uh, the, the struggle over uh, the rights of the Standing Rock people. The pipeline got rerouted across their land because wealthy white homeowners in Nebraska... And the Dakotas didn't want it under theirs. 
And then again, there's the idea the idea of non-high consequence areas that takes in uh, attitudes like, well, hell, it's just a bunch of fields and there's a couple of cricks there, and man, mostly it's just cattle and you know people that farm the cattle and maybe some wheat farmers and the like. But there ain't a whole lot of people there, so ain't no real consequences if we dump. 14,000 barrels of tar sands crude into the creek. Non-high consequence areas. That phrase leapt off the screen at me because we know a little bit about being non-high consequence here. We do. We know what it means when the when the mining company, the coal company, says, "Well, hell, that's a very low population area. It ain't no going. Ain't gonna be no never mind if we blow it to kingdom come." I mean, it's just a few people around there, and yeah, hell, nobody gives a shit about them if they breathe a bunch of poisonous dust and wind up with cancer eight years from now. Hell, we'll be long gone by then, right? Non-high population density areas. Or the streams that they bury here. You know, they buried 2,000 miles of streams in Appalachia. And uh, when when we talk about those, they say, well, you know, them ain't really streams under the Clean Water Act. Them is ephemeral streams because they ain't always got water in them. No, they've only got water in them when there's water in them. This is, after all, a temperate rainforest. And it behaves accordingly. But you know what happens when you bury those ephemeral streams and replace it with some zinc galvanized culvert? Don't work. Doesn't work at all. And you wind up with horrible erosion and and basically moonscapes. And I can only imagine what it's going to look like there in northeast Kansas by the time they're done doing whatever they're doing that they call remediation. Wonder what happens to a cow if it wanders into that sludgy filth. I can't imagine that it's good for hooves. And of course it's going to it went into the creek, it sunk into the bottom of the creek, it's gonna be there in the, But we have to we we have to give our solicitude to those poor, poor people at the pipeline company. Then there's Richard Kupperwitz, also interviewed by the Kansas City Star. And he said nobody's going to be able to figure out exactly what went wrong with the pipeline until TC Energy shares visuals and other information about the way in which the pipeline came apart, I mean, that's another way of expressing it. Probably a better way, it came apart. And he went on to say that uh, that uh, I respect that they're trying to protect the company, but the public has a right to know certain information. One wonders if uh, environmental protection is a wholly owned subsidiary of the hydrocarbon industry in Kansas like it is here in West Virginia. 
But more importantly, Richard Kupperwitz is an expert on pipeline safety. And he's got 20 years' experience advising companies how to run their pipelines, how to deal with regulations. And in other cases he studies, he's seen welding and construction problems, corrosion, because that crude is a corrosive. Um, he's found accidental damage from other projects nearby. He's found pipeline operators who just absolutely would not follow the regulations for safety. He's seen the pigs that move the, the robot, you know, in their inspection robots. They go through the pipeline. They look for problems. They're called pigs. And he's seen the pigs even form, cause damage inside the pipeline. And then there's just plain old-fashioned shitty steel. Long time ago now, nearer the beginning of this network than now, there was a website called uh, WD40.com. D-U-B-Y-A-D-4-0.com. They were some great guys. Loved them to pieces. And... uh, one of the guys who ran WD-40, who became a close friend, was an, a, a, a master welder and was an inspector, an inspector on pipelines. And he sent me a picture once upon a time of some shitty Chinese steel that had split like a beer can under pressure. And those many years ago, he said, look for this to be a problem in the future. Randy Radar pointing out. And then there's the, the hungover non-union welder. Well, yeah, that too. Or the meth-addicted non-union welder. That's a problem in the... Uh, in, in, in the hellscape of, uh, and I've heard a lot about it, the hellscape of Fraxylvania. But uh, that photograph, it, 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 was, it, was so, it was so profound. I mean, thick steel just, and, and it was because it was molecularly unsound, because it was made cheaply in China. And uh, my friend was hit by a a drunk driver somewhere in Kansas one night, Halloween, and killed. It's a hell of a thing to have a story like that call his memory to mind, but still thinking of you. At least on a governmental level in Kansas, uh, Westwood, Kansas Democratic Representative uh, Rui Zhu uh, said she's going to uh, going to draft a bill 
to eliminate TC Energy's exemption from state property tax. Oh, look, they're stealing the commons, too. How about that? She said, we want to send a message that the state shouldn't be giving tax breaks to corporations that are polluting our communities and environment. Naturally, there was a Republican, curiously named Adam Smith, who responded, Well, it sounds like that would be something kind of like in retribution, and I'm not willing to open up that can of worms for if this would happen all over the state with different industries and entities. That's not something I think is a proper response. Wait, what? Oh, the check cleared? Good. Good, good. So we'll just keep watching that little problem. As it uh, as it develops, and let uh, I made somebody wait uh, while I finished off these stories. Let's go over to the stress line. Hey, welcome to the program. Well, I would say good evening, Robin. But uh, hi, Dave. It's too depressing. Um. But I was thinking while I was on there, do you think Fappy goes home at night and turns Jenny into a swizzle stick while he's uh, slurping on his uh, insurrectionist and tonic? Um, well, I see you've abandoned your vow. Because that's one. That's not across the bow. That's that's dead amidships on dinner in the Central Standard Time Zone. I said I would try. I didn't say I would succeed. There, there is only do or not do. You know this. There is no try. <laughs> Yoda, Star Wars reference. All right, I'll on. Well, somebody's got to tell bad jokes, considering that uh, our our usual suspect is laid up in a in a uh, rehab facility right now. Right, and hopefully and home soon. But, uh, oh yes, because I've had I've had uh, problems like that before. One time, um, the uh, the pins in my legs got ir- irritated the muscles, and I could barely walk. And it took about a week for the and and, and some medication, and oh, it was it was a mess, Robin. It really was a mess, so. I'm hoping Scott. Well, you just you just got. I just want you to know you just you just got a message from Arnold in Pennsylvania. Dave, I was eating, and Billable Rick said, "Damn it, Dave, did it again." Just finishing a very late lunch in the Pacific time zone, and Ralph said, "Ew, Dave." And I don't think any of that's going to have any effect on you because I think you're proud of yourself. I think you see that as affirmation. <laughs> well, yes, Robin. Of course. Of course, 
here's the thing. Uh, I have been, been considering becoming a maggot, except that it violates some of my deeply held personal ethics. First off, I don't know how I could possibly uh, do, uh, do away with logical thinking and uh, not relying on some sky daddy to pull my bacon out of the fire and uh, oh, I can't be a hateful little bastard 24-7 365 and uh, I justify uh, keeping all those Fabulous, fabulous firearms and the ammunition that feeds them in, in good right-wing homes. and I, I just can't do it, Robin. It violates my closely held personal physical disability. And... Um, And the backwards thinking. I mean, if I could backwards think like some of these guys, why, I'd be considered a gymnast in some circle. Or possibly a contortionist. Well, you know, we we have six examples for the, that on, on the Supreme Court at the moment. Uh Uh, the uh, the thing is, you were talking about that asshole Barton who claims to be a hysterian. Um, what he's conflating is uh, a, a legal tradition that goes back to the Middle Ages where if you were accused of a crime against the church, there were ways to appeal it. Um, you could eventually appeal it to the Pope. And there, there is some basic um, Law codes in the Bible, but that is not that does not mean that all law derives its authority from the Bible. Unlike some of these assholes, now, now you see where my my problem in, in turning myself into a, a, a right wing maggot. Uh, yeah, that's going to be a fail. Yeah, you see where where I'm having my problem, Robin. And uh, I, I think that uh, I think that I, I, I agree with uh, I, I agree with Joe Biden about we've got to do more because this is this is not something. You can't stand still. I, there was a time, Robin, when if a Republican got shot, they would turn in into a uh, 
and that was it for the um, for the regulations of firearms. I mean, James Brady comes to mind. I mean, he was almost killed when when Reagan was shot by a, a mentally ill man, but they still locked him away for several years. Um, personally, I think they should have held on to him a little longer. But uh, they, they don't want to do anything because the the, the National Ruble Association makes con, conflates what started out as a actual a firearm safety organization into a right in the aftermath of the Civil War started by former Union officers. Two of them, yeah, because uh, their soldiers were such poor shots and didn't know how to handle a firearm properly or safely. Um, There are cases where um, you go to a battlefield like Gettysburg, there are things called witness trees. Been there. These are trees that were on on the battlefield at the time, and they are full of, of uh, lead balls. And the loading and reloading, and when you panic in battle, they have found uh, weapons from that time period that had 23 charges in the barrel at one time. In a, in a dead soldier's hand, and if they had pulled the pulled the trigger on that, they would have all gone off at once, probably turning him in and anyone around him into hamburger. Um, these are not these are not toys in these these firearms fondlers. Um, are are just you know no no matter what your criticism of their behavior, well, I've got a right. Well, rights can be regulated. There can be limits placed on rights. And that's not me just saying it. Fat Dead Tony said it to a bunch of college students. I was watching on C-SPAN, and he was talking about how some of the early early uh, weapons cases, um, one of the earliest ones had a, a guy who would walk down the street with a double double-bladed battle axe on his back. And the court found that that was considered a weapon of intimidation. And that the the authorities had the right to confiscate it. And this was early, early in the Republic. So 
probably much closer to the framers of the Constitution than we are now, for damn sure. But you get these absolutists who sit there and go, well, you can't because my rights. Well, you know what? If your rights infringe on my ability to continue to live, then you're right anymore. And there is a sad corollary with Sandy Hook and Evaldi. The Evaldi shooter shot his grandma. Tried to kill her, but didn't. You know, but, but, but you raise a good point there, Dave. It makes me wonder if maybe he was studying the Adam Lanza handbook. Well, we know that they, that a lot of these people end up feeding off the stories of the of, of their predecessors. How many times do they write these wild-eyed manifestos and leave them on Facebook? And uh, note to Zuckerberg, if your people keep allowing that shit to be posted, there should be some legal repercussions for you. Like old fines and and uh, curtailments or God forbid a requirement that you actually have human beings monitoring your network. I know. It's a pipe dream, Dave. That would actually mean people would actually have to do some work, have to make decisions. We can't have that. And this uh, this preacher in Mississippi. Well, now, here's the thing. I went to school in the Indianapolis public school system. We were second from the bottom nationally. And do you know what uh, many pundits said here? Thank God for Mississippi. This man is obviously a product of a good God-fearing Mississippi homeschooling where I doubt he can even read the Bible or something. I mean, what, is he going to have Cloven Hoof Bundy in his his church next Sunday going, let me tell you about the Negroes, you know. Robin, they're still doing it. I mean, you say they're going to do it again. They haven't stopped. Your and your argument is not without merit. The only thing I can say is, thank God we have an election every two years so that we can correct these things when when they happen. But in Indiana or places, other places in the Confederacy, um, 
it is harder than hell to get a Democrat elected to that uh, a national office. Oh, you can get Democrats on local and even statewide, but not in the numbers that a, a regular functioning government would happen. The, the last Democratic governor was Joe Curran. And he was, he was uh, Frank O'Bannon, Lieutenant Governor. When Governor O'Bannon died, he took over for like the last six months of the term. But you couldn't even get a guy like Otis Bowen elected in Indiana now. And for the non and for the non Hoosiers among us, Otis Bowen. Otis Bowen was a, a physician. And he was a Republican and he was um, he was actually um, in the Reagan administration as uh, his HHS secretary. I mean, he actually, you know, unlike and Ben Carson was offered that position, and well, he he turned it down because he didn't feel he could run a large agency like that. But yeah, put him in HUD where he has absolutely no experience, and uh, yeah. I'm not holding out a lot of hope for the January 6th committee, even though they've done a lot of good work. I'm not expecting a whole hell of a lot out of justice either. Call me Pessimist, an optimist. Pe- no, no, I will not. Pessimists are seldom disappointed. But I understand your piss- pessimism no. and your cynicism. Um, it's 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 not enough that they do wrong. They must be seen to be doing wrong, and they call it right. Well, and there was a time when if you had told me that a Republican would stand on the floor of the Congress and start berating their colleagues because of Jewish space lasers or some other bullshit or some of the other wild-eyed crap that comes out of that side of the aisle, I would have said, you know, put a butterfly net over her and take her down to the place where they got the nice rubber rooms. Because I would have been concerned for your safety and the safety of others. Now I'm concerned about your safety and the safety of others, but it's because, well, people like Marginal Trailer Queen think they can, they should be able to just carry their 
firearms wherever they damn well want, even on the floor of the house. We've had experience with that in this country before. Um, it was nothing in the 19th century for politicians to carry firearms onto the floor of the house and into the Senate. You know, we talk about the rough and tumble of politics. The 19th century could teach us a hell of a lot about what rough and tumble can get to. And there's that little dust up in eight, starting in 1860 and, you know, that that sort of thing. And, 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 and American politics he, had been somewhere about 30 miles past rough and tumble for about the previous 30 years. Or 40. Oh, sure. Oh, no. I'd say it... it 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 started, this all started during the Nixon administration. It started with the right wing uh, butt cracks. Uh, equating their position with patriotism because if you disagreed with the, with sending young people to Southeast Asia to kill other young people, then you were some sort of pinko commie bastard, and there's nothing worse than that because they're godless wonders, and, you know, and they haven't changed their rhetoric in 60 years, Robin. Well, I mean, come on, you you have to admit it's gotten more toxic. Oh, the concentration's gotten higher, but they haven't changed their rhetoric. Oh they no, it's just it's yeah, it's just it's just operate. It's just, they're just distilling it at a higher proof. Yeah, well, they're they're, they're approaching the one eighty mark now. Uh, you know, but uh, truly unsafe for human consumption. Well, you know, you can't have it. You can't drink two hundred proof. That that just will kill you. But um, the and for those of you who don't know how to measure the percentage of alcohol in, in an alcoholic beverage. Uh, you divide proof by two to get your percentage. So if it's 180 proof, a serving a serving of alcohol is uh, a little over 90 percent. Um, it, it means that it's 90 percent alcohol by volume. And beers run about you know, six to eight. Wines go from like 12, 14. Um, mead, which is a 
a honey wine has an even. I've made it. it, it that, that, can, that can be 30 proof. Oh, God. Mine was closer and to I, mine was closer to thirty two. Oh dear God, girl! Paul, oh, but it was so good. It was it was it party. was it was sparkling, and it was flavored with honey and ginger. Ooh, that does sound tasty. Yes, we called it we Bad called mood? it we called it Mad Mood Mead. That way, when we put it on ice cream, it was Mad Mood Mead a la mode. You put it on ice cream? Damn. It was, it was about we, the wordplay, Dave. Mad Mood Meat a la Mode. We, we have... But yeah, uh, it was pretty damn good on ice have, cream. We have a... Uh, we have a winery here in Indiana, in southern Indiana, down near Bloomington, uh, called Oliver Winery. And they make something called New New World Mead. And it's like 30 proof. And it's, oh no, wait, it's it's even higher than that. It's it's 30% by volume. It's 60 proof. So it's close to what you would make. But uh, they also have things like cherry cobbler and apple pie that they bring in in the fall. And it's beautiful stuff. My blueberry mead was something something special. And and there's nothing wrong with making that or, or consuming that if you're doing it right. If you're not just building it down to to dull whatever pain you've got. I mean, mead and, and wine and whiskey, beer, those all have their place. Well, Annette and I did split a six-pack of the of the uh, honey, of the uh, lemon ginger sparkling mead once. once. We split a six-pack of it, and as Jim Stafford once noted, Next thing we knew, we're just wandering around behind the little animals. I, I was I was wondering when the wildwood flower would come into into the conversation. I, I'm quite familiar with, with with that particular song. Um, my stepdad had uh, Jim Stafford's greatest hits on an eight track back in the late seventies. Yes, kids, there was a time when there were these things called 80-track tapes. Um, yeah, yeah. And no, we're not restarting a part of the, uh, a part of the song. They just had, that's where they spliced it. And, well, there, there, there were there were different produ- there were different production values. Truth be told, in eight tracks, some of them it was just a blunt cut, just middle of the song, chunk, and next part of the song. Others, however, faded down, chunk, and then faded back up. Anybody younger than me is going what? Yeah, well, I'm younger than you, and I understand what you're talking about, but I'm only a couple years younger than you. 
Yeah, it, it, right. Um, it's it's relative. Right. And um, the uh, the thing is, you should always not be afraid of of what other people think. I mean, obviously, as this community knows, I'm not one that really gives a shit about that. I mean, just ask Billable. I ruined more feels for that poor man than I can, I can think. And I do apologize, Billable. But I just, it amazes me that these people can walk and chew gum at the same time and they know they, they, they can't really walk and chew gum at the same time and they expect the rest of us not to be able to. Well, we can't talk about that right now because it's just too soon. Problem is the next day the same thing happens. And it's never soon it, it, it's never the time never gets there because it keeps happening, and it keeps happening because it puts money in the gun manufacturers' pockets, and it puts right. Money and that's in that's that's the, that's the perversion of it, Dave. Because every time a Sandy Hook or a Uvalde happens, or or the uh, friendly market in Buffalo, to name but three, every time that happens. By some, as I said, perverse logic, the gun humpers run out and buy more guns because they're sure that this time is going to be the time that finally we say enough. So they better run and get one now. Or buy more ammo. And guess who pushes that garbage? Hint, it ain't the liberals. It's the gun industry. I mean, I remember well, way back. I remember way them. back when Barack Obama entered office, and there was no ammunition to be found because I go to stores that sell that kind of thing. You know, like Rural King, you know. And so, lo and right. behold, and lo and behold, shortly after January the twentieth, two thousand twenty-one, you couldn't find a round of. Nine millimeter, or a, 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 a round with which you could um, load your AR-15. It flew off the shelf. My friend Kelly uh, is from Montana, and Kelly showed me a picture that scared the living bejesus out of me. Robin, do tell. It was a liquor store. It was a liquor store attached to a gun shop. Oh, that's not that. that uh, I, oh, I'm trying to remember what it was. Uh, it was a few years ago when we went to the Malloy Mountain Getaway in December up in North Georgia, and that's where I first met Steve and Miss Karen. And lo and behold. Steve said, did you happen to notice the store as you were coming in here? And I had. Um, Steve, are you in the chat room? No. Uh, well, it, 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 nonetheless, it was like a combination 
pharmacy, liquor store, and gun shop. Oh, lovely. It's a one And I remember I remember I remember that Annette Annette and Chris and I just all kind of went, uh, and and turned our heads as we drew. Did you see that? I saw that. You saw that? I saw that. Uh-huh. Like, how is the but then again, Georgia. Hey, that's free market economy, girl. <laughs> the precious sacred holy yeah. free market. Oh yeah. Um, and I honestly don't think that the Department of Justice is going to do much. Oh, they're going to grab up a few of a, a few people around Trump, but I don't think they're going to go for him. Mm. I think they're going. I get the I get the feeling you're going through the motions, Robin. Yeah, I'm not there. If they charge him, it, if they charge him, it's because they mean to convict him. Well, yeah, if the DOJ does charge him, they they think they've got the goods. But remember, try sitting a jury with twelve people and not getting a maggot on it. But here's the funny thing: since you mentioned that, there's a story out today. I guess some uh, investigative journalism has occurred. And uh, the Daily Beast interviewed one of the jurors in the uh, Trump Organization case. Okay. And they talked about the fact that instead of constantly saying Trump, they gave him a pseudonym. You know, I don't know, Ronald Dump. But they did that so that they wouldn't, so so that, that they would not intermingle their feelings about him with their feelings about the case. So they were, uh, they actually referred to him as Joe Smith. And one juror. I'm sure that made the Mormons on the cruise. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh good catch. Yes. Uh, one juror told Daily Beast, I constantly fought my knee-jerk belief that, of course, anything with the name Trump on it is crooked. I shocked myself in mid-November when I realized that I wasn't sure I could find the Trump Corporation and Trump Payroll Corporation guilty. We talked in the jury room about having to put on blinders and look just at these two companies. One of the guys started calling Trump Joe Smith. From there on, we referred to Mr. Smith's company. And they went on to say that... Uh, uh, one of his pettifoggers, Michael Vanderveen, uh, annoyed the daylights out of them because Michael Vander Michael Vanderveen Michael Vanderveen had like this I don't know Trump Tourette's or something where every time he would mention Alan Weisselberg he would say and Weisselberg did it for Weisselberg and one juror said we found it demeaning how stupid do you think we are at least johnny cochran had a viable point ow, mm. ow. vanderveen's stock may uh, may have may have just taken a nosedive in his fa- in his uh, firm well you know as but here's the question robin 
the Trump organization obviously hired this guy to, to uh, because, like, you know, because they're the ones on trial. And obviously, at least one of the checks cleared. Because, you know, in a case like this, there's more than one check involved. Sure. I mean, you get your upfront money, and you might work for a few hours. And then that money runs out, and you go to the client and go, well, you know, what you paid me before, I'm already through that. So, next. Um You know, it's never a good skill for a lawyer to have to annoy a jury. Now, usually, the lawyers I've ever been around have always tried to ingratiate themselves with a, with a jury. They've always tried to not belittle them or uh, annoy them. Uh, as one friend of mine who's a lawyer told me, he said, the, the biggest thing that they never teach you in law school that you have to learn as a lawyer is when to shut up and sit down. Well, and that appears to have been the case here because one of the witnesses in the trial was a fellow by the name of Donald Bender, and he was literally a mild-mannered accountant from Mazars, USA, but his voice was uh-huh. sort of high. And Michael Vanderveen openly mocked his voice before the jury uh, because he also had a speech impediment. Um, and and the juror said Michael Vanderveen did nothing to help himself by imitating Donald Bender's voice and speech impediment, impugning his manhood because the guy spoke with a high voice. This is some really bad lawyering. And I guess this. I mean, I have. But but it. But the thing is. I have, if he was playing to an audience of one instead of 12 jurors, uh, that that's the kind of bullying horseshit that Nitwit Nero simply adores. Because it's the same thing he did when he mocked a disabled reporter and got away with it and was rewarded for it with the presidency. Because... There's a lot of Nitwit Nero's followers who think cruelty is really, really cool. It proves he's a strong man. He's a manly man. Right? You know, you know, for for all the protestations, um they spend an awful lot of time on figuring out which one of them is the most manliest. Gas must macho. I mean, I just... Ricardo Montalban is mas macho. Ricardo's been dead for a while. Now. I know, but I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just thinking about the SNL, SNL story. Or, or game, but at or, least, yeah. but, but at least people are are able to filter that out. I get your point with the juror saying, you know, this guy was really annoying us, and we had to put the blinders on because when I went to jury duty, the they they trotted out a little video and 
on how jurors should behave. And, and what, you know, the thing is, you know, don't go looking for things outside of what's presented in court and, and only focus on what's presented. And, uh, evaluate it from, from the standpoint of you don't know anything else about this case than what's presented in court. Okay. And that's not an easy thing for human beings to do. Uh, you know, I got called to jury duty. I showed up in, in, in my shirt and tie and jacket and my fellow members of the jury pool were in their pajamas and in sweats and in sweatshirts obviously trying to get out of serving on the jury. Um, I did it as a, as a simple act of respect for the court. Um, and I had enough shirts and ties um, from my days working in finance and insurance that that uh, I was quite comfortable at it but because I have a hard time writing things down physically and other things I was excused. Um, well, if I ever get called for jury duty, I'm going in a hoop skirt. <laughs> Why, Robin, my dear, I don't give a damn. Why, Your Honor, will we be getting, getting a break for afternoon tea? <laughs> I mean, it can't be any worse than the woman who showed up for the uh, OJ trial with a Star Trek uniform on. Oh, I didn't hear about this one. Oh yeah, way back during yeah during the OJ Simpson trial, there was a p prospective <laughs> juror who showed up in a Star Trek uniform. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, it was a red uniform at that. So I guess that indicated she was hoping to be eliminated. <laughs> There's your obligatory Star Trek reference. Yes, the, the second of the evening. <laughs> oh, wow. Can you bank those up? I mean, there, there, are, there are a couple of evenings here and there that there's no direct reference to the series. But, I still think, uh, no, I think we've got enough of them. We're actually covered for the entire history of the broadcast. Really? Okay. Well, all right. Then I I won't mention that I'm waiting with bated breath for the third and final season of Picard, but which strangely is you know, I got it I watched the first series. couple of episodes and then I sort of faded away on it. I gotta go back and watch the whole thing. It slows it, it slows for like the first three and a half, four episodes, and then it picks up. 
and then it it just goes off. And in the second season, it go, goes places, and uh, it revisits things that. that just kind of make it weird in your thinking, what are they going to do for a third season? Because evidently, according to Paramount, um, the third season of Picard will be the last one. And I will not, I will not say, there is something very profound that happens in the last episode of the first season. I'm not going to give it away, but if you watch it, it will, um, it will surprise you and it'll make you think and it it will it will give you some in, enjoyment knowing that a, a major character in the Star Trek universe resolves their story. Okay. That's the only thing I'm going to say about it because I don't want to ruin it for you. But I know what a Star Trek fan you are. I am. And uh, you know the only the only bad Star Trek series, Star Trek related series, is Lower Decks. Uh, but I digress. Uh, but yeah, go back and and, and watch especially the first season, and then you'll want to watch the second season. But there again, it starts out kind of slow in the second season and then picks up. And by the end of it, you're going, oh, my fucking God, you know. And it makes Picard a human being overall. Okay, I'm sold. And, and and go back and watch it. Trust me on this. You'll be like, Dave, you were right. But yeah, don't stop at just the first couple of episodes. Because then you're missing out on a whole lot. And there's some even important minor characters that resolve their story as well. Cool. Anyway, well, Dave, you have a wonderful evening, and uh, how, and and uh, say hi to Christine for us. I will. I will. She's doing quite well uh, and, and everything. And I'm glad. To, I'm glad to um, know it, and I hope you guys have a wonderful holiday. Oh, we're planning to. Chris is going to keep me on my best behavior because we're going to Muncie together. So, <laughs> there's a song about that town. I, I could swear, Muncie, Indiana, Muncie, mm-hmm. Indiana, Muncie, Indiana, comes from some some show or something. 
No, that's Gary, Indiana. Oh, oh, Gary. Yes, Gary. I thought it was Monty. It comes. It comes from the, the musical, The Music Man. I know. <laughs> we used to sing it that way. I used to. Well, my friends and I used to sing it that way when there was a However, vague and distant prospect that I would go to college if, at Ball if, State. If you want, if you if you want a good Muncie joke, um, watch the Hudsucker Proxy. Why, why does that ring a bell? Because uh, Tim Robbins and uh, oh god, uh, Paul Newman. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, hey, there's a good one to look Believe up. Or not, I watched. I, I watched a what I thought was truly stirring, um, kind of classic war movie today. A World War Two movie. Or a movie about World War Two. Um, Brad Pitt, Shia LaBeouf. Um, it was just called Fury. Um, I've heard about it. Ah, it's but the but the hard. one I want to watch. It's hard, but the, it's good. The the film I want to watch because I read the book in college was the. Uh, the new uh, version of All's Quiet on the Western Front. Because I watched that. I watched. I watched. The, I watched that, and that was devastating. I mean, well, from begin, from start to finish, beginning to end, it, there was no let up. And the funny thing, for the most part, uh, it wasn't. It wasn't. A, it, there was some. There was some shooting and some war, but. It was a, it was very much a psychological drama, and considering it was made, considering considering it's a German-made film, it's it's a German-made film, and and it is based on a a, a German World War One veterans' recollections and experiences. And it was such an anti-war book that he had to live out the Second World War in Switzerland to protect himself. Yeah, it's nothing um, you'd want the it's nothing you'd want the Wehrmacht of nineteen thirty-eight to be reading. Right, and it is actually an anti-war book. The whole point of that book is is where these young men are led by their schoolmaster down to the recruiting station when the war begins. You know, and because and they patriotism, all join the army. yeah. And Babylon Berlin was good in that you, regard too. On Netflix, if you've never seen it, it's worth your time. What's it called? Babylon Berlin. It's actually, it's, it's, yeah, it's actually a detective story, but it has its roots in the First World War. It's taking place in like 1927 Berlin. Absolutely oh, riveting. Yeah. yeah, it, it is. Okay. It is absolutely riveting, and you will binge watch it because. So, uh, 
Berlin, Berlin was considered a very, uh, a, a very liberal place. Open, accepting, oh my liberal. God. The cabarets, the uh, and all of that, and I don't want to spoil it, but all of that, all of that plays into in, into the plot of Babylon Berlin. It's absolutely. Uh, oh, okay. And and I, I, and, I, and I mean, it's it's subtitled, and I had no problem whatsoever reading reading a, a, a Netflix series. Yeah, because it was kind of fun oh, because I was picking I was picking out the little words that I understood along the way, so that made it interesting for me. But Dave, you have yourself a wonderful evening. Stay warm. Stay safe. Uh, I will. And do let's talk soon. All right, Robin. All right. Later, Dave. Good night. Bye now. Our buddy Dave in the blind from the wilds of Talavandianapolis. And so with a little bit of time left in the program, and we are a goose egg this evening. Uh, it would be great if we weren't. Um, fundraising goals at 630 bucks, and a couple of bills breathing down our back. As they always are, I guess. Um, I wanted to make mention of the fact that there was a there was a hearing in the House today in the House Oversight Committee. They called the hearing to examine the horror that was the Club Q massacre, and survivors of the massacre actually testified before the committee. On the anniversary of Sandy Hook, they called for action on gun safety. And to their credit, the witnesses pulled no punches, and they laid the blame squarely where it belongs. Afterward, um, over on CNN, uh, CNN uh, Manu Raju spoke with Jake Tapper and apparently the hearing wound up uh, with some significantly butt-hurt maggots because they got their maggot asses called out. Our politics lead now. Powerful testimony today from a group who survived the massacre inside an LGBTQ nightclub in Colorado Springs. A man opened fire in Club Q last month, as you might recall, killing five innocent people. Twenty-two others were injured. Today, survivors of that shooting went to Capitol Hill, and many of them specifically blamed conservative, anti-LGBTQ voices, including elected officials, for the deadly attack. To the politicians and activists who accuse LGBTQ people of grooming children and being abusers, shame on you. We are being slaughtered and dehumanized across this country in communities you took oaths to protect. The hateful rhetoric you've heard from elected leaders in the, is the direct cause of the horrific shooting at Club Q. Let's go to CNN's Manu Raju on Cap Capitol Hill. And Manu, survivors called on lawmakers to take action and protect lives of LGBTQ individuals. Did that get any response from Republicans in the room to hear the testimony? 
Yeah, there was a Republican in the room and that during the hearing, James Comer, who is poised to become the next chairman of this committee. He said that while Republicans condemn this horrific attack, he criticized Democrats for holding this hearing. In fact, saying that Democrats are using today's hearing to, quote, blame Republicans for this horrendous crime. He went on to say this is an effort to try to blame Republicans for what he contended were Democrats soft on crime policies. Democrats pushed back. They said this was a hearing that was designed to show that these attacks against LGBTQ individuals are not isolated and that the, what happened at Club Q is a part of a larger systemic problem in American society. And that is what James Law, who survived that attack, told lawmakers that the violent rhetoric that he is hearing across media platforms needs to stop. Hate rhetoric from politicians, religious leaders, and media outlets is at the root of the attacks like at Club Q, and it needs to stop now. Rhetoric that makes people less than for being different. Rhetoric that threatens to silence what sports we can play, what bathrooms we can use, how we define our family, and who I can marry. We need elected leaders to demonstrate language that reflects love and understanding, not hate and fear. The witnesses also, Jake, called for action on guns, specifically to ban semi-automatic rifles at this attack. During this attack, the killer used an AR-15-style weapon. They called for a ban on those weapons. But in this Congress, that will simply not happen. Their votes aren't there, and the votes won't be there in the next Congress as well. Nope, they won't. So we're kind of back to the beginning of the program. We're not going to do the things that we need to do to stop the Sandy Hooks. The Uvaldi's, the friendly grocery store, the Club Q, the Pulse, slaughters. And we're not going to do it for want of any intent on the part of Democrats. We're not going to do it because Republicans and maggots, God... They love guns more than they love people, and especially, you know, where the queers are concerned. Deep in the hearts of Republicans, when Club Q happened, I'm sure some were saying, well, that's a start. Because their hearts are vile and dark places where love can find no purchase. But what was said was true. Absolutely true. These things will happen less if maggot and Republican politicians, I don't know why I say maggot and, I mean, they're the same, same. They'll happen less if the transphobic and homophobic maggots will stop catapulting the propaganda. But it doesn't look like that's going to happen anytime soon. Oh, and thank you, Trevor, and thank you, Emilio. Thank you both very kindly. Um, We're not a goose egg anymore. Uh, Thank you to Trevor in Washington, Emilio in Florida. Uh, We are now down from 630 to 600. Thank you. Thank you. And up from 76 cents for the balance. Thank you. Thank you for keeping this from being a goose egg, sincerely. 
But like I said, it's not likely to change anytime soon because hearts have to change. You know, for more in Monday, we spent an inordinate amount of time on Marginal Trailer Queen and her, spo- her, her, her speech at the New York Young Republicans Club wherein she said that if she if she and Steve Bannon had been in charge of the terrorist attack of January 6, 2021, that they would have won, which is to say we would no longer be a constitutional republic. Well, the president of that organization, the New York Republicans Club, uh, Gavin Wax, showed up on that dodgy little podcast run by Stevie Three Shirts, the man who looks like rancid hot dog water smells. And he made it abundantly clear what he and his ilk want. And what they want is war. Uh, of course, MSNBC made uh, the, the um, your speeches, which resonated with great imagery. In, in great force. Of course, they took it. All oh, these guys are just insurrectionists and bloody. And one of the, it was really a clarion call of political warfare, which is what we do here in the United States. Well, just walk me through uh, the, the, the basic center of gravity of your speech. Right. Well, absolutely. There is no uh, constituency out there that is looking for a milk toast version of the Democrat Party. They're not looking for Democrat light uh, raid, all these kind of minute details rather than providing a full holistic vision for an American national and spiritual renewal, uh, which was sort of the core of the speech. And to get there, we need to be prepared to fight, fight like we are in a war, using all the weapons at our disposal, fighting a multi-front war in these different arenas and all of the above approach. And they can't even have this conversation without without resorting to eliminationism. It's a war. We've got to use weapons. Right. And and, and Dave, Dave, Dave and the Blind's probably right. It's not y'all they're going to do it again. Y'all, they're still doing it. And for far too long, Republicans have been content uh, to lose with their uh, held their he- their head uh, held high, and we just don't want that approach anymore. We want to get dirty. We want to get into the trenches. We want to punch back, punch back hard, and wage a full-on offensive against the left in this country. And that goes beyond just politics. That goes beyond just the electoral system. That's in the culture. That's in the media. That's in the courtroom. This is a holistic, multi-front war that we are waging. And that was sort of the the the, the thesis of the speech, if you will. Uh, uh, and the left has completely spun it and completely turned. You know, the left has completely spun it. When you say that you want to go out and punch people, Sugar, that's that's Proud Boys rhetoric. That's what they do. But somehow we're misconstruing his words. You're hearing his words. It's beyond politics. Well, what did what did Mao say? I'm probably going to get this wrong. Um, war is politics at the muzzle of a gun. Turned it into something it's not because they're not used to listening to speeches that have passion anymore. They're not used to speak uh, people speaking truth to power and speaking about things that come from the heart. They're uh, dumb shit, Gavin. You've never heard. Senator Reverend Warnock speak, have you? Oh, it's passionate. 
and it is freighted with the real kind of Christian love, not your muscular butch Jesus with an AR-15 Christianity. When he says he wants powerful rhetoric, what he's saying is he wants he, he wants to say hateful, violent things and not have anybody pointed out. They're used to corporate and consultant approved speeches that are not they're no, nothing but nonsense and drivel and platitudes and boilerplate, you know, uh, you know, talking points. This was a speech full of energy, full of passion, vicious as well. I think he was channeling uh, Jeremiah Wright with some of his speech. But uh, the, this is what people want to hear. They want this sort of red meat. They want that sort of energy. Well, yeah, and because, yeah, Republicans do. They, they want that kind of energy. I'm going to close the program with an email. I got this from somebody named Richard earlier. Can I call you Dick? Um, apparently, Richard uh, has, has a critique of the program to share. When I was talking about Sandy Hook earlier, this is one of the ten reasons why I cannot monetarily support you. Your overuse of the of a incessant pause, that would be an incessant pause for dramatic effect. Well, sometimes, Richard, it's not a dramatic effect. It's an attempt to make sure I'm using exactly the words I intend to use. Because I don't sit here and script all this. Everything that happens here is raw and real. I'm sorry it doesn't meet with your standards. Drinking all the time from that stainless steel cup you use with ice. I had no idea that using ice with water was a no-no. Richard, honey, you tried to talking for three hours without a drink. Especially when the first hour and a half has no break in it. I, I mean, I'm sure you could do that, right, hon? Good hustle you got there. Drinking water from a flask is a hustle? Oh, well, you do you, boo. Nice change of format to Robin's trans telethon. Curiously, we were listener-supported before I transitioned, and we've been listener-supported ever since. That's how we keep the thing on. I don't think the, the, the fundraising hasn't changed, and the format of the program hasn't changed. I have listened for about a decade and still do half the time. Well, I can understand. You listen half the time with half your brain. And, hey, thanks for listening. You know, we don't charge anybody to participate in this program. There are no firewalls. There are no paywalls. It's here for anyone and everyone. And the phone, get answer the phone gets answered regardless of who calls. But Richard wants to make sure that you don't take him the wrong way. He says, I also have no gripe with LGBTQ crowd either. Crowd. I support them. 
Do you? How? The show has mostly changed from politics to Bob Bob's Robin's identity politics. Honey, Bob's dead. There's only one person behind this mic, and that's me, and I'm Robin. Curiously enough, I've been Robin since the day of my birth. Identity politics. Oh, dear God, I think I know where Richard's coming from. He sounds like a member of the sparkle-fart-propelled unicorn cavalry purity patrol. You know how they bark and grunt about identity politics! Another word for identity is civil rights. Comments are not on today's show, but generally how it changed. No wonder you lost subscribers. You knew that anyway, I sure. I wish you well. Good luck. Ah, oh, well, I doubt you do. And, well, I always ascribe to Edison's remarks on luck. I'm a great believer in luck. I find the harder I work, the more I have of it. And this program is politics, 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 forever politics. With an occasional uh, wander over into culture and food and a little bit of silliness just to keep us from all losing our minds. But, you know, I'm glad I can be here for you, Richard. And I'm glad you tune in half the time. That's still a lot. So enjoy the program. Be well, and I hope you have a happy holiday season. Whatever holidays you celebrate or don't. I don't know who Richard is. <laughs> I have no idea who Richard is. But, you know, okay. Funny thing is, I have not changed the content of this program since I transitioned. We were talking about trans issues and bathroom bills, potty bills. We were talking about those back in 2015 and 2016. Everything we talk about now, we've talked about before. We've been talking about a, a, a woman's right to privacy and the right to make her own choices about her own, uh, about her own body. From the moment this program came on air... But apparently, something changed with Richard. So, just thought you might find that interesting. Uh, at, at least Richard didn't use any vulgar language or any transphobic slurs or any homophobic slurs, for that matter. Because, after all, he says, I also have no gripe with the LGBTQ crowd, either. You know, the absence of a gripe is not the same thing as acceptance. Saying, just saying. There is a difference. So anyway, thank you to all our Patreon and PayPal subscribers. Thank you to our a la carte contributors. That means thank you to Trevor and Emilio this evening. Thank you to each and every one of you, each and every one of you, even you, Richard who share your precious finite time engaging in the program in whatever manner you so choose. 
Thanks to our all-volunteer staff. Thank you to Roger and Steve in the chat room. Thank you to our news ninjas. Thank you, Brother Deacon Asa. Head on dot live. Brand new Fresh Malloy on the way at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Remember, the best place to listen to the first run of Malloy is headon.live. Because, among other things, no ads. Because we're terribly, terribly non-commercial and non-capitalist here. Oh, and by the way... Uh, if you're listening to the podcast or whatever platform you listen on, hit that like button, hit that thumbs up, hit that heart, and uh, subscribe and like and all of those things. We sure would appreciate it. Brother Deacon Asa asked me to lean into this and make a thing out of it because I'm not very good at it. You know, the shameless begging for clicks. But apparently that's how this whole thing works. Thank you, John Fox in Australia. Thank you, Ben Birch, WhiteRoseSociety.org. Thanks to the hardest working, bravest people I know, the folks at Coal River Mountain Watch, CRMW.net, 20-plus years at the forefront of the struggle for human rights and environmental justice in Appalachia. And a proud union shop. Please stay safe. Get your booster, get your flu shot, get your shingles vaccine. Let's just create a list. Wipe down your surfaces to help stop the spread of RSV. Wear your mask when you're in public or among crowds, among the great maggot unwashed and unvaxxed. Wash your hands, don't touch your face, use your hand sanitizer, maintain your social distance. 15 to 20 feet, like Paul from Parts Unknown says. And, of course, if you see some puzzle-gutted, pasty-faced Republican coming down the street babbling about, they had that hearing with them queers to make Republicans look bad. Well, avoid that maggot piece of shit like the plague. Because he is. And always, 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 Gina, it's all for you. Later.